We are continuing in our series, Ancestry.Bible. We're hearing the stories of our uh, forefathers and foremothers in the faith as we read them in the book of Genesis. I'm reading from Genesis chapter 1, beginning at verse 8. This is the story of Isaac as a very little child. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, playing with her son Isaac. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son along with the slave woman shall not inherit along with my son Isaac. The matter was very distressing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the boy and because of the slave woman. Whatever Sarah tells you, do as she tells you, for it is through Isaac that offspring will be named for you. As as for the son of the slave woman, I will make a nation of him also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she cast the child under one of the bushes. And went, Then she went and sat opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot. For she said, Do not let me look upon the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Come, lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well with water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. This is good news for all of us. Thanks be to God. I ask you please to pray with me. May the words that I say and the reflections that go through all of our minds give you pleasure, God, you who are our rock, you who save us. Amen. We have a tendency in our human families to have rivalries, for siblings to dispute with one another who's the favorite kid, or maybe arguing that the parents are unfair or playing favorites. And we can see that even more so in some cases in step families. I have a friend who is the first child of her mother's second marriage. Her mom had been married to a man who had very severe mental illness. And this was back in the 50s and there weren't the treatments we have now, unfortunately. Uh, Her mom had had a daughter with this first marriage and the man was so sick that the only treatment available for him at the time was institutionalization. And so he was placed in a home and 
with a child to feed and trying to manage her life, she divorced him and returned home as a single mom. Back home with her young daughter in tow, she was out in the community where she'd grown up, and she met a wonderful and very financially successful businessman. She and that man married, and they had two daughters uh, from that marriage, the first one being a very close friend of mine and the second. Now, all three of those are the beloved daughters of the mom. But the oldest daughter feels like she got the short stick, short end of the stick. She's, why did she have to have the dad who was sick? And how come she grew up in the family where there wasn't much money? When she was a little kid, her father struggled to maintain employment. And then she was, uh, you know, a child of a single parent who hadn't been working. And it just, she had a much tougher childhood in some ways than did her half-sisters from the second marriage. And so there was this kind of tension between the girls, which was very distressing to their mom. Decades passed, and they're all in their middle age, and, and frankly, still, it still kind of comes up, this tension of the oldest sister feeling like the younger sisters are spoiled and pampered and favored. And it's a source of pain in the family, this issue that goes on. In our own culture, there tends to be a story or a myth that we tell about pain in step families. Maybe the most uh, vivid example of that is the story of Cinderella. What's Cinderella's story? Mom and dad and Cinderella lived a happy life together until the mama died. And then the father remarried, and who did he marry? The evil stepmother. Now, I see you, Mary. <laughs> How many women in here have at some point been considered the evil stepmother? <laughs> and, and there's a lot of pain with that, isn't there? So we're going to talk about this legend, then we're going to go beyond it. But within the story of the evil stepmother, Cinderella got pushed to the side, and the evil stepmother brought in her daughters from her own previous relationship and made Cinderella wait on the daughters of the mom's first marriage, and Cinderella was oppressed and suffered terribly. That's the Cinderella myth with the evil stepmother. And that is a story of what happens sometimes. However, there are all sorts of wonderful stories of step families that have come together with real love and grace without that kind of tension among the kids. I think about a family that I knew in Naperville, when I served there, uh, the woman had been divorced, the husband had been, uh, become a widower. They came together, and between them, they had five children. I knew this couple for years before I figured out which had come from her marriage and which had come from his marriage. It was always our children, our children. They never differentiated among them. These are our children. There was no evil stepmother. These are our children. It was beautiful, and those siblings had a very warm and happy life together as one family. That's often what happens. Or I think about the story of our own Milo Case. Milo is a beautiful man in this congregation, lives out at Wesley Willows, and I uh, visited his wife, Jeannie, and did her funeral when she passed away. Milo, during the funeral preparation, I heard the story of what Milo had been like. He had been, um, it, 
a single man and kind of older as a single man, and he met Jeannie. Jeannie had had a first marriage that was not very happy, and she still had a lot of pain from that first marriage, and she had this precious little girl. When Milo and Jeannie started dating, Milo was very careful to always pay attention to both of them, and he never wanted to do anything that would separate the mother from the daughter or create any kind of rift. As their relationship deepened and Milo uh, decided to propose marriage to Jeannie, he brought a diamond to Jeannie and he brought a ring for the little girl as well. When I was doing Jeannie's funeral, the sisters talked about what a great dad Milo was, how you couldn't tell among them which ones had been Milo's biological kid because he just, he was father to all of them. That is another very healthy very positive image of step families. So I don't want to pass on that, that ugly image. And yet, we know that story, and our scriptures show examples of that story. And so today, we're going to deal with one of those hard stories, the story of the tension between Sarah and Hagar, and how that played out for their sons, uh, Ishmael and Isaac. To go back and just very briefly go over the Abram and Sarai story, Abram and Sarai were wealthy and prosperous, living in the land of Haran, which would be present-day Iraq. And then God appeared to Abram and said this crazy thing. Abram and Sarai, you need to go. You need to leave your land here and go to the land of Canaan. I will show you where to go. And they left. They took their nephew Lot with them because they'd never had children. And so Abram and Sarah, Abram had high status as this wealthy, prosperous landowner, but in the culture of that day, a woman's status was gauged partly in whether or not she had children. And Sarah had not been able to have children, and so she had status from being married to this wealthy landowner, but her status was a little lower because she wasn't able to have children. But God promised that the descendants of Abram would be plentiful and that God would bless them and through them all the people of the earth would be blessed. Abram and Sarai went. They took their nephew Lot with them. They separated out the land. They lived in that place and the years passed and the years passed and the years passed and God had promised an heir to Abram but there was no baby. And Sarai was old, and that train had left the station, so it just, nothing was looking very hopeful here. And so Sarai thought, well, maybe we need to be a little clever here. And so she sent her maid, Hagar, in to her own husband. Now, I know this is really tough material for us. These are practices that in our day we find appalling. Um, In Abram and Sarah's day, there were slaves who were considered the property of people, and your slave's child was your property. So Sarai could imagine that Hagar could become pregnant, and that child would belong, so to speak, to Sarai. And I know this is not what we do now. It's, It's a disturbing thought. But she thought, well, maybe this is how it's going to happen. So that's what she tried. She sent Hagar in, and Hagar became pregnant. And Sarai thought that would make her happy, but it didn't. We don't know exactly what happened, but the scriptures tell us that Hagar lorded it over her mistress. Imagine Sarai, this older woman who's never been able to have children, and this young, fertile, pregnant Hagar. 
I don't know exactly how it happened, but I can imagine Hagar kind of waddling around with a little pride in her pregnancy, maybe bending back and showing that lovely full belly, you know, something like that. And Sarai was really ticked off. This didn't work out at all. She's not getting any status. She had been lower status because of her barrenness. Hagar had been down here as her servant, as her slave. But now, with the pregnancy, was Hagar coming up to her status? That was not going to work. She was furious. And so she began to treat Hagar very badly and kind of try to force her out. And so you can imagine taunts and maybe other kinds of verbal abuse, maybe some physical abuse. We don't know. But Hagar got so fed up, she ran away. She went out into the wilderness, and the angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, no, Hagar, you got to go back. Go back. I promise you, you will have a son, and I will make of him a great nation. And so Hagar went back. And Ishmael was born, and he was Abraham's son, and Abraham delighted in him. They rose, they grew in the years, and then God came to Abraham, to Abram and said, I want to make a covenant with you, the covenant of circumcision. I promise you, you will have so many descendants. They will be as many as the stars in the sky. And Abram became Abraham, and Sarai became Sarah, and Ishmael also was circumcised. The next chapter, 18, we meet Abraham and Sarah, still no baby, <laughs> and three strangers come to the tent. Abraham knocks himself out, offering hospitality, and then one of the guests who had arrived says, now, next year when I come, your wife will have had a baby. Sarah's back in the tent. She cracks up. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. My husband's 99 years old. I'm going to be here with a baby. <laughs> right. Now, she does it quietly, but the one outside the tent perceives that she's laughed and says, now, why did you laugh? Oh, no, I didn't laugh. And then a year later, she delivers Isaac. What does Isaac mean? He laughs. Isaac, the laughter, the joy of Sarai, who a year later has her child. And then the child is weaned, and that brings us today's passage. So what we have is a tension with two women and two sons. Abraham married to Sarah, waiting, waiting, waiting for a child. It starts looking like it's never going to come. Meanwhile, Sarah sends in her servant woman, Hagar. Hagar delivers Ishmael, who becomes the firstborn of Abraham. But then here comes baby Isaac, and Sarah gets even more jealous. She'd had enough problems when it was just Sarah and Hagar, but now that there's Ishmael playing with Isaac, she doesn't like it a bit. She is afraid of these two boys growing up in the household, and she is afraid that Isaac's inheritance will be split. And so she goes to Abraham and says, out. Hagar and the boy, out. Except for she doesn't even call Hagar by name. She just says that slave woman, out. And Abraham is distressed. This is his precious son, Ishmael, his firstborn boy. He's supposed to cast out his son. And the God speaks to him and says, do as Sarah says, I will make of that child a great nation. So God promises to, reserve, or to preserve Ishmael and Hagar. And so early in the morning, Abraham takes some bread takes a skin of water, like a canteen, gives it to them, very heavy-hearted. And they go out and wander in the wilderness of Beersheba. 
They wander, they run out of bread, they run out of water. It's terrible. Hagar is so distressed, she can't bear the thought of watching her son die. And so she sits just a little bit off, don't make me watch the death of my child, and she weeps. And apparently Ishmael himself also weeps or cries out. And the angel of the Lord hears the prayers and says, Hagar, go over. There's a, there's a spring of water over there. Take your skin, fill it up, bring it back to your son. I will make of him a great nation. And Hagar suddenly sees a well that had not been visible before, fills up the skin, and she and her son survive. They settle in the wilderness area of Paran. Hagar herself, Hagar took, came from Egypt. When Ishmael gets older, she finds him a wife from Egypt. And he goes on, and we don't hear much about Ishmael after that. Mostly the story continues down Isaac. But we do hear from Ishmael later on when Abraham dies, Ishmael and Isaac together bury their dad. And then later on, this will be in August for us, we'll hear the story of Joseph and his brothers and how his brothers felt that Joseph had been favored and sold him into slavery to the hairy Ishmaelites. Any of you who've seen Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat know about the hairy Ishmaelites. That's the descendants of Ishmael. Those Ishmaelites continue on in history, even as we follow biblically the descendants of Isaac. This story shows us the problems when we are rooted in status, which roots us in jealousy. It creates a thought, the term in math is a zero-sum game. A zero-sum game is this is how much there is, there's only that much. A zero-sum game is when there's one piece of cake left, and I wanted the cake, and my big brother Rick wanted the cake. And mom, you know, tried to get us to handle it. We didn't handle it well. And so mom would say, okay, one of you cuts, one of you picks. Because they knew, she knew that if we cut it sideways or not in equal pieces, things would go badly. So if I got the knife, I would cut as evenly as I possibly could, and Rick and I would get equal pieces. I did try once cutting it unevenly, leaving a small piece, thinking that my brother might give me the big one. <laughs> what was I thinking? I never tried that again. <laughs> Rick took the big piece. We needed, we needed that, evil, that uh, equal piece. But that zero-sum game. The zero-sum game is the assumption that status is fixed and does not expand. So when there is status, if Sarah's status, if Hagar's status goes up, that means Sarah's status goes down. It, it assumes that the benefit to one is a loss to another. And that status culture and that status way of thinking is the way of jealousy and misery, and that kind of anxiety over how the status might shift over time. Now, we can have these jokes in our families. We can have jokes about who's the good kid or who's the bad kid, and the parents say, really, we love you equally. I joked in the first service, my, my brother Rick and I have gone up and down on the status ladder at various points. Right now, we're pretty much equal. We've got detente. So I'm the pastor, that's kind of high status, but he's got the grandkids. So it's, we're kind of fixed right here. But if he became a pastor, I'd be sunk. And it's too late for me to have kids, trust me, unless there's a whole Sarah thing going on. So I think we got detente. I think we got detente going here, and Rick and I will be equal. But that thinking 
is not the way of our Lord. That thinking is not the way of joy and peace and freedom. We need to be reminded that the economy of love is not a zero-sum game. The economy of love is multiplication. And I heard a wonderful illustration of this with a mom and her child. The mom was about to have a baby and the child was nervous. The child said, well, mama, when the baby comes, are, are, you're not gonna love me anymore. The mama said, of course I'm still gonna love you. No, you're gonna love the baby. You're not gonna love me. And so the mother explained, when I married your father, I gave him all my love. And when you were born, I gave you all my love. And when the baby comes, I will give the baby all my love. How is it that all four candles can still be burning? Because there isn't a finite amount of love in the world. Love multiplies. Love expands. When there is love for one, it doesn't mean there's less love for another. What a beautiful illustration of how God works in our lives. And forgive me for blowing out the mom candle. I got in trouble for that at the 9.30 service. I'll leave those going. God's economy is one that offers love beyond the boundaries that we set as human beings, beyond the tensions between Sarah and Hagar. Sarah assumed that if God had a blessing for Isaac, that blessing was finite, that it couldn't be expanded, that it couldn't be extended, and she had to protect her son's inheritance. But God's blessing isn't a zero-sum game. There can be blessing for more than one person. There can be blessing for more than one community. And we learn that in this story. God was not removing the blessing from Isaac. Isaac is still the uh, son from whom the chosen people are uh, descended. Isaac is the one who leads down to the line of the Jewish people, God's chosen. And we might have assumed that that line of the chosen people and the Jews would have ended right there. But God did an amazing thing. Jesus of Nazareth was born. He was a Jew. His early followers were Jews. The assumption was that this was a movement within the Jewish community. And then after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, as the story went out about the good news of Jesus the Messiah, Jews heard it and believed in it, but other communities did too. Other communities heard about this People who had no Jewish background heard good news in the story of Jesus. And so Gentiles, non-Jews, who were not descended from Isaac, wanted to join that community, and God grafted on the Christian community to the Jewish community. And so we have this strand from Isaac to the Jews, and the Christians added on, grafted on to this strand to be children of Abraham through Isaac. But Genesis in this passage also told us that God had promised to bless Ishmael, also a son of Abraham. And as I said, we hear about the Ishmaelites just a little bit in the Bible here and there. Time passed, centuries passed, and the religion of Islam came into being. In the religion of Islam, the Muslim people see themselves as descendants of Ishmael. 
And if you read the Quran, some of the stories that Jews and Christians read as being about Isaac, in the Quran, they're about Ishmael. So Abraham taking a son up the mountain, it's not Isaac in the Quran, it's Ishmael. All of us, Jews, Christians, and Muslims, are children of Abraham. We are cousins. We are related. We are all people whom God has promised to bless and to work through to make them great nations. How tragic that our response to one another is sometimes to be at war with one another or to assume that only one group could be loved by God. God's love multiplies. God's grace multiplies. No matter the desperate situations we may find ourselves in because of human sin and envy, God cares for us. God provides a new way. God offers blessing in unexpected ways. Thanks be to God. Amen.